Hey guys, what's up? It is week 77. Uh, I have a couple, hopefully, quick reviews for you. I doubt they'll be quick. You guys know how that goes. I have uh, like five regular reviews and like two two quickies. Or two wannabe quickies. I'm not sure how they'll be. Um, I have, you know, the Q&A, the question of the week and whatnot, the answers from you guys. So uh, I guess let's start into this. And uh, this time I'm going to try something a little different. I, I wrote some notes down, you know, because uh, sometimes I forget things and I, I want to be a little bit more thorough so, at, at times. So if I look down at a piece of paper, don't fault me for it, okay? Uh, I might not always do this. Most of the time I just freestyle it right off the top of my head, but, you know, notes can be good sometimes. We're going to check it out on a couple of these. Uh, I want to talk about the um, new Halloween 2018 uh, you guys know, everybody's been talking about this. There's going to be some minor spoilers. I'm not going to give too much away or, or all that much. Maybe just a little, you know, plot conveniences that I thought were there. But, uh, yeah, this is the sequel to the original Halloween 1978. This is made in 2018, so 40 years later. Uh, it ignores all the sequels. The Halloween franchise, uh, you know, storyline is so screwed up. Similar to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those storylines are so ridiculously bad, like X-Men. Like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But uh, let's hop into this. I'm just going to basically tell you what I thought of the movie. Um, You know, Michael Myers is incarcerated for 40 years, and he... uh. This is the only direct sequel to the 78 one. He escapes. Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of a shut-in grandmother at this time, and she's been waiting for Michael Myers for years and years and years. It takes place on Halloween. It's in Haddonfield. Um, that's basically the setup of the movie. Things I liked. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is great in this. There's some good uh, character uh, moments in here. Um, she when she interacts with her family and stuff like that. I thought her performance was really good. And, uh, you know, it, it felt pretty genuine, and I liked her. And also kind of reminded me a little of the Linda Hamilton thing going on when she was kind of this tough as nails, uh, ready to get back at Michael Myers' deal. I like that. I like her. Um, some other things, I thought that it was well shot. I thought that it was well made. I thought that they took the time with the minor characters to make them established enough that I enjoyed them all. Like a brief touch with some cops. Uh, a moment where this lady's in the graveyard that shows these two podcasters that are obsessed with true crime, which is another aspect I kind of like the true crime deal a little bit here. Those uh, podcasters want to see Judith Meyer's grave, and there's this lady, and she's just like, what is this? You know, Her two seconds of screen time was good. The minor, the, the scenes with these two cops waiting around is good. All the minor characters characters are good. Um, there's a one in here that made me smile. I'm not going to give it away. Like I said, it does have a fairly good Halloween feel. The music's good. Of course, Carpenter did it. Um, I think the first two thirds are much better and especially, uh, the middle part, the middle of the movie is actually really good, which is surprising. And they, like I said, they take the time to set up minor characters. So when these minor characters die, you feel bad and you genuinely feel bad for the people when they kill, when they're killed. I like that. There's a high body count. Uh, some of the kills are gratuitous. Most are off screen, which is kind of, eh, but Halloween, was never known for its gratuitously violent kills in the first place but i do think that when you have you know um 15 to 20 kills that more than half are off screen is kind of a a little lackluster but there are a couple uh, pretty good kills in this movie you know some shout outs to the original films there's lots of easter eggs more so that other people would spot than me because i'm not one of those people that's been obsessed with the halloween franchise my entire life you know as a kid i liked it and i was just as much as any other horror series as a horror obsessed kid would like halloween so he liked it i liked it um i'm in a third person now but i liked it um but Freddy was always my guy as a little kid. Um, so those are the things I liked. Stuff um, I didn't like, I thought there was some um, plot conveniences and uh, some things to try to tie into the original that I thought were, mm. there is um, this cop played by Will Patton. He he's does well, but they try to tie in his character into the original. I'm like, why? Why bother? Um, there's also this uh, kind of cowboy cop who's in there. Not a bad character, not a bad actor, kind of un underutilized. Not sure if it's a negative, but he's just underutilized. Um, there is um, some other, like uh, like I said, I like that they brought, I should go back, I don't want, I'm kind of getting the negs, but there's a, I like that Nick Castle, the original shape is in here, and I liked how they utilized him without the mask and stuff. I thought that, you know, how they showed him and things like that was fairly cool. Um, they try to fill in the void that is Donald Pleasance in this movie with this kind of other doctor, and uh, Exploding Heads called him Turkish Loomis, which is very funny and very... Um, appropriate for this guy but he to me reminded me of a poor man's herbert lom he's doing like a bad herbert lom impersonation the whole movie don't care for his character don't really care for his acting either i think he's the weakest part of the film unfortunately which i, I don't want to say um and there is uh some stuff with him that i did not particularly like uh 
Uh, there's some other things, like I said, like some minor plot holes. Um, what kid goes to bed before trick-or-treating's over? What kind of kid doesn't go trick-or-treating? Um, also things like a body. Why is it there? Why is it gone? Other people have pointed that out. Also, why have a gate guarding the front of your house when the back of your house is essentially woods with unguarded uh, you know, entry? That's pretty much all I can say about the movie. I do find that, you know, the cat mouse game and a lot of slashers towards the end is my always my least favorite part of these movies in all of them. So I'm not going to fault it for that. It is definitely a trope in these things that people love. So it's not a negative. It's just not something I particularly like. Um, the cell phone uh, motivation to get rid of it was really convenient for them and I did not care for it. I'm to believe that these people have the mask, stuff like that. Other people have pointed this out too. But uh, overall, I liked it. I think it's good. And I don't know what people expect for a sequel that's made 40 years later to an iconic slasher movie. You're, you, there's going to be people that go in that theater thinking they're going to love it or thinking they're going to hate it. And they're probably going to come out feeling that way. I mean, your expectations sometimes will affect how you see it. So if people have high expectations, they might come out disappointed. I thought I'd like it. I don't have a, a strong attachment to the Halloween series. I rewatched the first one because I haven't seen it in so long beforehand to be more connected to this one. Or be up, up to date. And... Um, I liked it, and I thought I'd like it. So uh, that's the Halloween 2018. Check out the trailer. Um, I avoided all trailers before I saw it, so you might want to avoid that too. But uh, hopefully that review wasn't too long or didn't spoil too much. But um, there's timestamps, so always feel free to skip. I've waited for him. Testing one, two, three. We're on. We're here to investigate patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> Everyone in my family, like, turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Okay, guys, the next one is from Netflix. This, I believe, might be a Netflix original. This is The Ritual. Um, and uh, I tried to watch this when it came out. This is the 2017th movie. I tried to watch this right when it debuted, and it just couldn't catch my attention. I don't know if I was in a bad mood, and I was just like, this isn't for me for some reason. I felt it was too... Um, it was like, what if uh, the characters from Hot Fuzz were really boring, and they went on a trip to the uh, Sweden Alps or something, like the Sweden Mountains, and went for a walk? That's pretty much what I felt. I was, I knew I was being wrong about it, so I, I went back and I watched it. And, uh, you know, I must say, this uh, the ritual is about a film of friends 
friend. A group, it's about a group of friends who want to go on vacation. They go on vacation a little older. They're kind of growing old. They have their own thing. Some of them they may be kind of like fading apart, and uh, they, they they kind of do this one last kind of weird vacation. Not last, but it, it, because one of their friends died tragically, and there's a lot of um you know rough patches about this death and other people are blaming other people and things like that. So these uh, five friends, they end up going on this hike. Well, four friends. They end up going on this hike and uh, start strange things start to happen. Somebody gets injured and they decide to take a stra- uh, shortcut through the woods. Big mistake. As you knew, it was going to be a big mistake. And that's when the psychological uh, horror kicks into overdrive and the supernatural horror comes in as well. Um, it's well acted. It's well shot. It looks good. It, it does some psychological stuff that is pretty good. At points, it reminds me of the Wicker Man with the pagan stuff going on. I like that stuff. And uh, without giving too much away, there is like the supernatural aspect is fairly cool. They do set up some creepy moments. The lead actor is good. And I do enjoy the fact that they kind of make him very flawed, but uh, very uh, realistic. And you don't love everyone in this movie, but you don't hate them. They are—they all come across, uh, you know, fairly realistic. And at first, you're kind of distant from them. You don't really care for them. You don't really care for them at all. And you—but you feel like you know people like this, and as it progresses, and they set these characters up fairly well, and you start to, you know, like them because you can not necessarily relate to them, but you can know someone like them, if that makes any sense. Um, and it, the, the last couple that are surviving actually become be, are, are the most interesting characters. And uh, it picks up the pace a little bit at the end, and I thought they delivered. Uh, it, it's fairly solid. I enjoyed it. There's nothing really wrong with the movie. It's just it, it is a slow burn. It is well shot. Like I said, it's in a beautiful area, too, and it's an isolated area, so that always sets up the you know kind of scary stuff here and there. But good movie. Um, and, uh, it, it you know, getting into full-grown grow, full men's heads and, you know, doing crazy things to them is also pretty cool and uh they blend um kind of dream uh dream with reality and stuff like that and uh they kind of bring the past uh almost like the city into nature at points and that's kind of cool so it's just worth checking out i'd say for sure rob would have loved this place he's a good man the best of us you know they have walking trails in england pubs come on man where's your soul Oh, oh, it's twisted. It's twisted. All right, yep. Oh, easy, easy. Look, we go southwest through here. We cut the journey in half. Or through the forest. Yeah, why not? I should have gone to Vegas. Oh, you'd have found something to fall over in Vegas too, mate. Now, is it me, or is it really quiet in here? been gutted. Could be hunters out here. Bait, possibly. Or it's the bit they don't show you in the nature documentary. It's a warning. We shouldn't be here. Where the hell are we, Huds? We should pitch the tents. This is ridiculous, man. Luke, you're getting soaked. Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear anything. Come on. It was a nightmare, Phil. Well, what happened to you then? We got spooked and we had bad dreams, all right? <laughs> I woke up last night. Look, look at this. Nothing has done that to you. You've done it to yourself. Why do you have to deny everything like that? Because I, I do not value your judgment. We need to be working together, man. Okay, the next one is from Arrow Films. This is uh, Sergio Martino's Torso. Uh, this is a giallo. 
a lot of people would call it a proto slasher, especially in the special features, they would call it a proto slasher for sure. Made in 1973, this is one of Sergio Martino's biggest hits. Sergio Martino did tons of movies, tons of Gialli, um, like um, what are a couple, All the Colors of the Dark and um, The Case of the Scorpion's Tail, but he's also done some other movies, uh, Hands of Steel, uh, Big Alligator River, um, Slave of the Cannibal God. He is a jack of all trades, like they say, and kind of a jump from genre to genre. Uh, kind of almost like, I don't want to say, um, uh, what's uh, kind of like a, a journeyman director, but not really because he's pretty good at everything he does. So we have Sergio Martino's Torso. Uh, this movie is actually inspired by two things that Sergio saw in real life. One of which where a man was uh, taking his son on uh, to a park every day, but in reality he was going up to his uh, parent-in-law's uh, um, apartment and cutting up their bodies and disposing of it after he murdered them, and then going down and you know spending quality time with his son. And another one where um, a woman was in a house and uh, they're trapped by a or, or something along those lines. So he kind of combined these two stories. Um, so you get Torso. Uh, Torso is very typical in its giallo influences. It has a lot of voyeurism, which you have, like point-of-view cameras. Tons of zooms, like the Italian movies do. They'll be zoom in through something, zoom in through curtains, zoom in through a weird set of, like, uh, you know, in the foreground, and it'll zoom past that. Good stuff, good zooms, love that stuff. The score, I enjoyed the score, and it actually plays in the movie. Somebody plays the score on the piano. Those are always nice touches to me. Um, and uh, Sergio in the special features said he didn't care for the score that much. He said it was too French for his taste. I really like the score. I think it works really well. Um, there's uh, four women that basically, this is the climax of this movie, that basically are in this cottage, and there's a killer going around, and there's been murders happening, and he kind of focuses on them. Uh, there's tons of nudity in here. Everybody, there's lots of, lots of sleaze. There's lesbianism. There's perversion. There's uh, stuff back, uh, ranging back to the killer's childhood that kind of messed him up and made him a monster, and they play in it with dolls and things like that. Uh, typical um, psychological reasons for a killer in a Jello movie to do what he does. Uh, he hates women. That's that's very evident, and he's not the only character that seems to hate women in this movie. There's there's some misogyny within the some of the male uh, negative characters in the movie. There's lots of red herrings. There's at, at points you're like this can be four or five different people, and uh, it, it's fun to discover. But towards the end you're like it only can be a couple, and uh, you, you kind of figure it out because some people start to die, some people start to you know their motives don't make sense. They wouldn't be there, they wouldn't know this information. But by the end you're kind of figuring it's between a couple people. Uh, it's it's well acted for the most part. I mean, a lot of it's dubbed, so you you have that going on. Uh, it, it's nice to see the special features in here, which uh, kind of uh, make it a little bit more interesting for sure. Cat Ellinger does the commentary; she's great. She talks about how it's a proto slasher and talks about how you know Sergio is uh, less appreciated than he should be, and I agree. I think that him, Umberto Lenzi, and Ruggiero Diodato. Um, deserve a little bit more credit than they get, to be honest. I mean, people always talk about Mario Bava, Lucio Fulci, and Dario Argento, as they should, because they're great, and they're amazing. But these guys are like the B, like the B squad. Not the A squad, but the B squad. And, you know, other guys would be thrown in there, too, like maybe a Limberto Bava or Antonio Mirageti. Those guys, and they're good, they're great, but, uh, you know, they never get the recognition that the you know, these guys do. And um, Sergio probably is almost there. And I would, I like that they bring the, you know, talk about Sergio like that. There's an interview with Sergio on here where he talks about, you know, the inspirations and how he made the movie and his, some of his career. That's always interesting. And what was very interesting was an interview with his daughter, and she talks about film school and how she met Eli Roth. And that, that's pretty interesting as well on how she's taught her take on a remake or like a sequel to this movie. And I really like what she was saying. It, it sounded very interesting, to be honest. And I like that. Um, it's good stuff. And there's an interview with Ernesto, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Godaldi, but he wrote tons of these giallos. And I love what he's saying about Dario in here. He uh, talks about The Sixth Sense, how wonderfully it was set up and how the twist worked that, you know, Bruce Willis was there with, spoilers for Sixth Sense, as, uh, uh, Bruce Willis was back with his wife sitting there and they never say a word, but the audience, as the audience, you think that they actually um, are interacting, but they never do interact. He said that's perfect for the end twist. If Dario would have done that, he would have made them shake hands or something like that. So he's basically poking a little fun at Dario there. And that's funny because I had an argument with Jeremy about Tenenbra, or Tenenbrae, I always say it wrong, Tenenbrae, about how um, um, they show the plane leave. 
kind of a spoiler for Tenebra, but the character that they, they show a plane, they show somebody driving to the airport and then they show a plane leave. But so that's a visual cue to let you know that this guy's gone, but he's not actually gone. And, uh, and Jeremy is like, that's cheap. That's crappy. And I, and I know Dustin said that as well. That's kind of cheating. And, uh, you know, that's kind of funny that, uh, he would point that out, but I don't think it's cheating. I like it. I don't care. Screw you. Not you. Screw them. But uh, this one does something like that, too. There's a point in this movie where somebody goes into some, one of the suspects' rooms and there's a doll there. And you know for early flashbacks and things like that and, and things that the killer sees that there was a doll earlier. So that's kind of a cheat, too. You're telling me that there's possibly two people out there that have this tie-in with dolls and sexualization of dolls and, and, and comparing them to women and they're also messed up. I don't buy that. That's a little, that's cheap. That was a cheat. But it's not as bad as a cheat as some other things. Um, there's some other, there's a crazy day for night scene with, uh, uh, in the woods where one of the characters is killed in a very gratuitous way. Uh, there's hippies. I don't, hippies in the late 70, like 73. Somebody didn't get the M, the memo for like a lot of foreign movies or even American movies because these movies probably started in like 60, late, very late 60s. The idea of them, the scripts of them, the filming of them and maybe editing maybe 1970 and stuff like that. This one probably a little too late for that. But I'm saying like no one got the memo in 1969 that Charles Manson pretty much destroyed the hippie movement. And you have a lot of hippies in this in these movies in like the early 70s and you're like... Are we, are, we do, are we still doing hippies? I guess they're still doing hippies. You know, I didn't live during the time, so maybe they were still doing hippies. I mean, they turned a little bit more evil than, like, in uh, I Drink Your Blood and stuff like that. But, and but you know, they're still doing hippies in this. But uh, overall, it's, it's a good movie. I, I like that. There's also an interview with a, a guy in here who, you know, is talking about, you know, how it is like a proto-slasher and stuff like that. And I like that. And it really does feel like a, a slasher and a giallo kind of ran into each other. It's definitely a good stepping stone into the next Stuff like that, but uh, um, enjoy the movie. It's packed with a uh, with everything that you should like out of a sleazy giallo. It's got lots of nudity. It's got decent kills, and there is a scene where a bunch of characters are taken care of, and they don't get in. They don't. They're off screen deaths, and I, I kind of was confused by that, to be brutally honest. But um, I liked it, and there's a little bit of what I've seen referred to as ur- urban urban noia, or you know. Um, what is the word I'm looking at? A xenophobic kind of thing. Xenophobic whore, uh, I guess you would call it too, where they go into this small town and all the locals are like, look at them girls, oh my God. And that's very common in a lot of movies, you know, like kind of Italy's backwoods things. They, they point a lot of this stuff out in the commentary. Good, good academic uh, release by Arrow. Next time, Hanson. Ciao, Bella. A filmmaker with a lot of warmth, I guess, in in a way. Um, He had a great sense of humour. Mi aveva colpito, uh, mi aveva colpito il fatto che avesse uno stile. The psychosexual reasons for the killer being the, the psychosexual murder. You got a whole lot of naked women. How do you bring that past Bruno Nicolai? You had to see another time in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't remember this sequence. Okay, guys, the next one is also by Arrow, and it is 12 Monkeys by Terry Terry Gilliam. You know, um, I haven't seen this movie since it came out. And what did it come out? Like, 98? So I'd have been like 12. 
I didn't get it. I was like, oh, it's got Brad Pitt. It's got Bruce Willis. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, 12 Monkeys is a very strange movie. Any movie that tackles time travel is going to be a little confusing, and they always are. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they don't really work because they're so, you know, they kind of screw with timelines. You know, even Terminator is kind of messed up once you really think about it. This one, I thought, handled it pretty well. Bruce Willis is this prisoner from the future that must be sent back into 1996. This is actually 96. I believe 1996 to stop this virus that pretty much wipes out 90% of the population and everybody has to move underground. So he's sent back to do this. He gets sent back to the wrong time in 1990. Um, he starts this uh, interaction with this doctor and then throughout time he keeps jumping back and forth and meeting her in different times and different places and other people are sending the time to try to help with this uh this thing that's is an impending doom um it's very kind of confusing in a lot of ways and and with the time travel bruce willis's character starts to lose his grip on reality he doesn't know and as an audience you don't know if bruce willis is crazy if he's actually from the future if he's actually in the modern times in the present and he's just a schizophrenic so it kind of plays with that i don't think that it necessarily works for me i always felt one way or the other about it uh let me say this um in uh when he sent back to 1990 in this brad pitt has a role in here it's one of his best performances uh there's a scene when he's put into an insane asylum in 1990 when he first comes back as everybody thinks he's crazy um they don't actually show him come too they just show him in the insane asylum so you're like Maybe he's always been crazy. It, it's it's kind of strange how they do it. Um, but Brad Pitt and uh, Bruce Willis do really well in this scene, especially Brad Pitt. This whole scene feels like something out of a you know crazy, crazy one flow over the cuckoo's nest style, and I, I really dig that. And um, Madeline Stowe, I believe, is the relationship that uh, Bruce Willis. Has. She's pretty good in it too. But I, I gotta give it up for Bruce Willis. You know, I've always loved Bruce Willis growing up. In later years, I'd say, man, Bruce Willis really fe feels like he's phoning this one in. And I hated saying that because I loved Bruce Willis growing up my whole life. And and to a certain point, I always was excited when Bruce Willis came into movies. And there was a time that I just stopped being excited for it. I don't know if it's my fault or it's just maybe the the movies weren't as good or Bruce wasn't as good. But I feel that he is gets a good range in this movie. He shows a lot of emotions, you know, confusion, anger, love, uh, sentimentality. And there's this moment when a song comes on and he listens to it on the radio and he gets real emotionally says, I love music from this time because they don't have it in his futuristic time. And his, 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 his emotions there is great. And I was like, man, this is a really good performance by Bruce Willis while watching this. And I was very impressed with that. And I, and I hadn't seen the movie in a very long time. And I, I, I really liked Bruce in this movie. He, he did great. And uh, and stuff like that. But also, this movie also ties in. It's kind of a remake of a French film that is a very strange movie about a child witnessing his own death and stuff like that. And that plays into the movie. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but it's one of those things where these dreams are becoming, you know, kind of are foreshadowing in a way. They're not just dreams. They're more, you know, premonitions or more remembrances. And, and I like that kind of stuff, I guess. It's pretty good. Uh, I like the futuristic uh, stuff in this movie because the future feels homemade. All the stuff that Terry Gilliam does feels like it has a homemade, very, very nice touch, but it also has that cold future feel to it. So it's it's strange when you have this homemade stuff, like the, the way it sends back into the um, future and past and things like that, sends them into the past, but it, all, it also looks so, you know, you know, clean and not clean, but just very superficial future at the same time, very blank and stuff like that. But it's a well-acted, well-directed movie, and uh, it's got good performances in there, and it keeps you entertained throughout, and it's got some bonkers, crazy ideas that only Terry Gilliam could do, some really weird stuff. Uh, on here includes, uh, you know, like a making of. Terry Gilliam infamously had a lot of problems with previous movies, so every time he made a movie after that, Terry Gilliam would be like, you know, well, I don't want to be blamed for screwing this one up, or I don't want to be said I'm doing something and I'm not, so there's a making of on here, which is interesting, and you get into Terry Gilliam's a weird guy, Okay, there's a commentary with the producer and Terry Gilliam on here. There's some other stuff too. You know, it's nice to see uh, the making behind the features, and you see Bruce Willis and all the actors and stuff. And there's a point where uh, Terry Gilliam's telling him something. Bruce is listening. And he kind of looks irritated. He's like, "He's like, oh, you're talking about." today not the other stuff we just shot okay 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 because he basically was telling him we need this and this and this not this and he was like oh so you're basically he thought he was telling him that all the stuff he shot previously was junk and he was just like he was just like he's about to get mad but you know it, it's pretty cool to see you know this stuff all this behind the scenes and whatnot uh 
I believe there is a you know some other things. I'm gonna check out the disc because I I watch all the sub all the features and then you watch so much stuff you forget all of it on here. Yeah, there's a new appreciation on here as well and uh, Gilliam on Gilliam, which I I don't really remember much about even though I just watched it. But uh, yeah. They, there's also a moment in this movie where I watched the ending and I was like, oh, that happened. And then while I was watching the features, somebody says, this is actually what, Carrie Gilliam says, well, this is what's actually happening here. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a moron. But then somebody in the room too thought the same thing I thought. So I was like, oh, I don't feel so bad. But I, it's one of those movies that the more you watch it, you might pick some more stuff up on it. So it's an interesting science fiction kind of epic time travel movie that's well worth your time. Terry Gilliam's done so many great movies. Time Bandits, Brazil, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, you know, Fear and Loathing. And uh, the only one I'm not particularly fond of is Tideland. But um, all his movies are interesting. All his movies are well worth checking out. I mean, he's definitely one of those, uh, I guess they say, Artur directors. And, uh, you know, Terry Gilliam is one of the most interesting guys out there for sure. Just show them around, tell them the TV rules, show them the games and stuff, okay? How much you gonna pay me? How much? I'd be doing your job. $5,000, my man. That enough? 5000 I'll wire check to your account as usual. $5,000. $5,000. $5,000. You know how to get out of here? <laughs> yes, my son. This is the first day shooting on Brad. He arrived after uh, months of tr preparation. And he exploded this day. He was yeah, just extraordinary. He, he, it was it was wonderful. Do you think that as the credits roll, the audience will have figured it out? Growing up, I always thought you know, Ingmar Bergman, all these great directors, how they must work with actors, and and I could never work out how you did it. The, the Brad Pitt's vocal performance, well, his whole performance in the film is absolutely extraordinary. Great idea. It's great. But uh, more of a long-term thing. I mean, first, we had to focus on more immediate goals. I didn't say a word about you know what. This is my territory, bitch! Is this real or is this one of my delusions? This is definitely real. Okay, the next one is from Kino Lorber, and this is Beware the Blob, aka Son of Blob. Yes, this is Son of Blob, the 1972 sequel to the 1958 classic Blob. Um, I like the original Blob. Very hokey, very cheesy. Um, <laughs> this one is very silly and very stupid, but very purposely so. Um, the, the Beware the Blob is one of these movies that has a bunch of people you'll recognize in there. You might not know all their names. You'll know some of them. Burgess Meredith, Sid Haig, who else? Um, there, there's just so many familiar faces in this movie. And it's actually directed by, um, who is it? He was an actor himself, and he appears in the movie. It is really weird. And the opening of the movie is nonsense. So what we have here is um, this scientist who basically brings home this specimen from Antarctica. Of course, it's the blob where they sent the original blob in, um, to Antarctica. Blob's weakness is ice freezing, you know. So uh, he unintentionally opens the blob and the blob immediately starts to kill things and get bigger. Uh, when the people are killed, it's kind of mean-spirited. The movie is really stupid on one hand and then really mean-spirited on the other hand. Like, a kitten is killed right off the bat, so you're like, oh, we're going to do this in this, like, PG silly movie. And then everybody who's killed, you feel bad for. <laughs> Nobody in, except maybe Sid Haig's character. Spoiler, Sid Haig is his five-second cameo gets killed. Not even a cameo. But, um, and everybody's... Oh, Garrett Graham's in this, too. Bud the Chud and Phantom of Paradise. So, like, when people die, I'm like, it's going to just feel bad for everybody. It's just like stumbles in the scene to scene with all these weird characters. It feels very like Chud too, where it's just like, we're just going to jump to these weirdos. We're just going to jump to these weirdos and we're going to kill them. And then we're going to kill them. And then we're going to kill them. Like there's a scene at a barber shop for no reason, which has, you know, familiar person in there, a comedian kind of deal. Kind of funny. Um, it's just nonsense. The movie's entirely bonkers. And there's this scene with uh, Burgess Meredith as this weird, like, hobo drunk and a couple other hobos. And uh, it's just nonsense. It's just silly. Um, 
uh, the special effects are fine. They're fun. Uh, the whole movie ends in a uh, ice rink. That's really cool. And the two leads are these two kids. Um, one is played by the mother in Masters of the Universe. Uh, I was kind of blew my mind when I realized it was her. Um, and when she's in hysterics, she is overacting crazy. You're just like, what are you doing? What are you doing right now? I can't believe you're doing that. But um, Anne's in an ice rink. It's fun. There's this guy that constantly gets uh, a run-in with these kids and negativity happens. And he's just very annoying and always trying to pin stuff on them and get back at them. Uh, it's just a really silly, goofy movie with, you know, a lot of like, kind of fun actors. All, all the characters are likable for the most part, except Sid Hag. I didn't dislike anyone. So when everybody was getting killed, I was thinking, oh, that's awful. But it's so stupid and silly at the same time. It's all improv. It, as they say, and you could tell right off the bat, I was watching with Jeremy, and Jeremy's like, is this improv or something? And then while I was watching the commentary with the film historian, he was like, all oh, this was pretty improv, and I was just like, okay. And the, the commentary's good, too. He goes over all the actors and names all their movies and what happened to them, where they went, uh, how they got involved with this movie. And uh, this movie, nobody remembers it that was involved with it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm surprised I remember this much after watching it. But I enjoy it. It's stupid. It, it's very stupid. It's very silly. Um... It's not as good as the original Blob. It's not as good as the remake of the Blob. But it is more Blob, and uh, it's the one I hadn't seen, and I enjoyed it, um, especially in October. <laughs> you just put in the Beware of the Blob and enjoy yourself and watch some people get smothered and absorbed by, you know, the ever-growing uh, ever growing, uh, pink Blob, pink puddle of goo. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty fun. It, it, it doesn't look particularly great either. I mean, this movie was probably made very, very cheap, very cheap. The Blob is back in a horrifying new adventure. And you are there, startled, stunned, terrified, as the blood-red creature rolls over and eats everything in its path. We're going to burn the place down. I can't take any chances. Beware, The Blob. Starring Robert Walker, Gwyn Guilford. You know that's not the first thing I did when I got back home. Beware, Godfrey Cambridge. Beware, Carol Lindley. Beware, Shelley Berman. You would like a haircut? Yeah, it'd be $400. Beware, the blob. Larry Hagman and his pals tried to stop the blob with a pitchfork. Beware, the blob. Consuming human flesh on contact. I don't suppose you got any identification. Nothing can stop it. Not fire. Not water. Not even bullets. What do you mean? Huh? That thing. That's it. Oh. See Son of Blob. Okay, guys, the next one is the VHS Voyage. This is from Video Outlaw. And this is Shrek. When was this one made? Early 90s, right? 1993. It's got the little Tempe video down there. Remember these? These Video Outlaws? I used to have a Shattered Dead like this, too. I still don't have it. Um, yeah, but Shrek. This has never been re-released on DVD. This is shot on video. This is kind of a forgotten movie, to be honest. Here's the tagline. They commanded Shrek to rise from the grave. He was only following orders. I'm going to say this. Shot on video. Sounds like crap. Looks like crap. But it's got a really cool story. All right, we have this guy who lives in this infamous past serial killer's house. Uh, the, his name is Max Shrek. The killer actually stole his name from the lead actor from Nosferatu, and there wasn't much known about that actor in real life, and there isn't much known about Max Shrek in this movie. He was an ex-Nazi who stole the name and lived in hiding in the 50s and became a serial killer. That's all you know. This is modern time and with a 93, so he lives in this serial killer's house, and he kind of makes a living having people come in and check out the house because people worship you know, serial killers. So I like that true crime aspect and him exploiting it. He actually shoots a little video and talks about Max Shrek in the beginning, and he shows it to his friends 
friends how you know it's kind of like an advertisement for people to come and so he can make money off this I like that it's very cool it's very neat and there's a, he, he tells the story of Max Shrek and uh, at one point he says how he got caught uh, by the police and he says this woman got to the phone after she had nails into her head and she only muttered three words Shrek death house and it, it's just awesome and that plays into the movie later on. So we have these three kind of kind of dorky, weird, kind of horror-obsessed friends. And they decide, one of them decides to, you know, do this weird seance and make this golem, this uh, this outfit of Shrek, or what they want to put Shrek's soul into, just screwing around. Uh, it's like this weird hazmat kind of suit and this helmet, uh, this, this helmet and this gas mask. And uh, what they do is they do this seance and... Uh, Lo and behold, Max Shrek comes back. And, and there's a good scare here because they all leave for a second and then they come back and the suit's gone and they're like, are you guys playing a joke? And one of the friends is gone. And they're like, where are you, man? And then they're looking out the window. It's like, look at this idiot trying to scare us. And then their other friend comes behind them and then they realize it actually is Max Shrek in that suit or somebody's in that suit outside. And uh, they're like terrified. But uh, yeah, really cool. Really cool, like that scare. And what happens is we have some weird time travel stuff again. They become shifted back into the 50s where the actual killings happen. And not only do they have to deal with this apparition of Max Shrek, but they have to deal with the real Max Shrek. So Max Shrek's like in two times combined into one. So it's very weird. He has these kind of special powers. And he ends up bringing these ghosts back. He put he starts digging up and the kids are like, what is he doing? What is he doing? Must be victims that they never found at Shrek's. So he digs up these bodies and they rise as ghosts to kind of be his minions. It's really weird. At one point, one of the characters takes off and looks under the sheet, and you don't really see what it is, but you have a theory what it is. And that those ghosts and these people play into how the future is, and I really like that. And I like uh, that 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 comes back to the Shrek death house later on in the end of the movie. I think that was clever. I think that was smart. And um, the gores are the the, the the gores. The deaths are fairly gory, and I I thought they were pretty good. There's not that many of them. It's a very short movie, and the opening, get past the first 10 minutes, because the first 10 minutes, you're like, this is going to be really, really bad, but it's not. It's a movie that would be great for a remake, because it's got a really good story, and today, everybody's obsessed with true crime. And it reminds me of something like somebody being obsessed with like Ed Gein if his house was never torn down, and people going there and being obsessed with it, and kind of like that kind of deal. And people are so obsessed with true crime nowadays that it would be an interesting movie to tackle, like this false serial killer, people going back and worshipping the serial killer and whatnot, next only bringing him back. I like that idea. I like that concept. It's pretty unique, and I think this could be remade fairly well. And what's better villain than a Nazi? Nobody likes Nazis because they're so damn sadistic, but they make great villains in movies for sure. But uh, I would recommend checking this out if you can. It can be found online fairly easy. So, um, But uh, the release is pretty hard to find to be honest but i really like this one um it's a low budget movie but um you know it, it has some decent uh it has some well thought stuff to it and it kind of goes to show you you may have a nickel and a dime but if only a nickel and a dime but if you got a good story then it's worth your time you like that i don't what are we gonna later right now my new tour tape's done let's go inside oh, fire it up I'm Roger Drake, and I live in Max Shrek's house. Wisconsin. Small, isolated, most would say boring, except for the townsfolk. But whatever opinions of praise they would have would be too dull to listen to. This is the last place on earth you'd expect to be the location of one of the most bizarre crime sprees in history. But life and death are ironically ironic. May 13, 1958. Sheriff Herman Milk awakes as his telephone bell shatters the peaceful bite. The mysterious caller says three words. Death. Shrek. House. These 
These are believed to be the dying words of Karen Krasnowski, a Harvest High School senior. Milk rushes to the sea. He arrives in time to send the madman Shrek to hell with a bullet in his brain. But it is too late for Karen who is found in this basement. A helmet of nails has been forced onto and into her head. This turns out to be the most pleasant aspect of Shrek's torture dungeon. The place is a reeking charnel house of death. Here stood a stove in which Shrek incinerated the torn and twisted remains of his victims. Here was found a pile of bones and skeletal remains, a grisly jigsaw puzzle that added up to at least 11 victims. In the anarchic aftermath of Shrek's discovery, questions lead to more questions and answers lead to more questions. To neighbors, Shrek seemed a private, rather sad, immigrant man. Imagine their shock upon finding out he was actually a Nazi madman. It is not known just which death camp Shrek hung his helmet at during the war, but it's clear from the findings in this house that he had hands-on experience in carnage. We don't even know his real name. His alias assumed from the actor who played Nosferatu the vampire in the German classic. There's a line in the movie Taxi Driver. A man takes a job and that job becomes what he is. Max Shrek's job was death, and it became him. Well, what'd you think of it? I laughed, I cried, it became a part of me. The film of the decade. I wouldn't pay five bucks for it though. Oh, no way. Ah, uh, you're just jealous. Yeah, sure, no, kid. Okay, the next one here is the Pick a Movie, and this was done by uh, Matt Brown. Uh, this is Thirteen uh, Tazmazetti. Tazmazetti. Sorry, I don't know. Never seen the word. So, okay, this is a strange one. This is a French film, uh, black and white French film. Uh, made uh, not. It's not an old film. It's just shot in black and white. We have this kind of a uh, you know roofer, this kind of handyman. He's a younger guy. He doesn't have too much money. He's working on this house where this this guy seems sick and his girlfriend. This guy's a drug addict. Something happens to him, and he's been listening for a long time that this guy's going to go on a big score. Some of this thing where it's criminal activity, and um, there's also cops watching, but he doesn't know. So he he gets involved with this intentionally to try to make some money, uh, but unknowingly gets involved in something that's way bigger than he expected. And uh, I kind of have to spoil this. I mean, I'm sure they tell you on the back what it is, but why I went into it, I went into it blind. So I don't want. I'm going to give you a chance to skip ahead and just pass this review and in, into the pick a movie. But what he ends up getting involved in is a game of death. And Game of Death movies are always pretty good. This one is shot well. It uh, What it does really beautiful is it's a 13 Tomazetti. It's a game where all these rich people are betting on these people. It's a giant game of kind of Russian roulette where 13 people, everybody drops a bullet in the gun. They put a gun to the guy's back of the head in a circular and they pull the trigger. And um, through this movie, just the characters, how they look, how they act, the uh, small interactions you have with the 13 players, um, but just glimpses. Nobody comes and says who they are or why they're there or if they're dying. Just by their acting and just by their appearance and just by some lines here and there you know exactly who they are just by looking at them and and, and whatnot and it does paint the characters very well here just even though they don't have they have minimal dialogue 
And there's just small details in here. Um, kind of, I guess, the antagonist um, is this uh, pair of brothers. The bro one brother's betting on everything and the one brother's playing. Uh, those two are great, especially the brother playing. He has an intensity about him. He's intimidating. Really liked him. Really liked that his performance. And the lead's also very good. Um, yeah, yeah. You're, this movie is very suspenseful. It has you on the edge of your seat the whole time. You really want to know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen either because, you know, it's Russian roulette. Anything can happen. And uh, as the numbers start to slim down, uh, the betting starts to get up. The tension starts to get higher. And they do that really well. It, it, it looks beautiful. It's a, well, like I said, it's well shot. It looks good. And maybe it's just as black and white, you know, adds a little bit of art artsiness to it, but it does. It does. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, I mean, a, a poorly shot black and white movie wouldn't, but this is well shot. And at, at first, I'm going to be honest, like the first half, I was like, this is like a film noir kind of crime movie. And then when it gets into the game of death, I was like, it's a film noir crime game of death. Okay. I'm in, I'm in. Um, it's not gratuitously gory, but it is gratuitously violent. And the, the, the idea here is very violent as well, but uh, a very suspenseful movie that you don't know what's going to happen next without spoiling too much. I don't want to be like, well, this guy gets shot. Then this guy gets shot, but uh, nice details in the characters and everybody's got the number on their shirt. Uh, it's just, uh, it's a wild ride. And there's, there's a, there's a heavy set character in here too. And, and it's just kind of weird how they play this game. He, he's having trouble standing up. Like, can I, my player have a chair and they, they don't care if they blow each other's brains out, but they're willing to give this guy a chair. That's just how it is. And, uh, good movie. Very good movie. Um, very cool. Very unique. And, uh, would recommend checking it out for sure. But, uh, good stuff. You said quoi il s'agit? Je n'ai aucune idée. Votre homme est là? Oui, tout va bien. Maintenant, il faut jouer le jeu. Je demande aux surveillants de distribuer une balle à chaque joueur. Attention! Le premier tour va commencer. Je demande au public de reculer. Reculer, 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 encore. Chargez-vous, mariés Okay, guys, we're going to get into the pick a movie. Um, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Ronnie Vomit won last time. He picked Clones of Bruce Lee. Okay, <laughs> no, he wanted me to watch some Bruce Ploitation. So if you ever want to be entered in the pick a movie, remember I'm finishing out this bag completely. And then I'm, I already have a new bag started. Only OD6666 has entered, so let me know if you want to be re entered in the bag. Um, or maybe if I draw this bag out. I'll just finish the last couple, and we'll be done with the pick a movie if I'm not going to get any names. But uh, let's see who's going to get pulled out here. Extro the Mutilator, my buddy. Happy to see his name finally get drawn out. I love Extro. If you have never checked out Extro the Mutilator's channel, I suggest you do so. He does this just a lot better than me. Um, okay, let's hop into uh, the Q&A. Like I said, if you ever want to be entered in the queue, uh, the, the pick a movie, just leave a comment saying enter me on YouTube, on Screaming Toilet, or send me a message on Facebook. I'll get to it and I'll add you. Okay, um, what do we got here? Uh, Nick, Mua, Nick Mua. As an artist, how does illegal downloading piss you off? Uh, you know, if, if it's an impossible to find movie, I don't get that mad. But um, 
Uh, if I ever download a movie or I get a bootleg of it, my rule is when it's actually officially released, I buy it. For the most part, I've pretty much done that every time. Um, you know, a lot of it is ignorance. The people that know exactly how much they uh, like are taking, you know, money, like especially like a, a indie movie that they're bootlegging and stuff like that, and they they know they know better. They're just like you're garbage, you're you're trash. And I mean, I, back in the day with music and stuff, you know, it was. I used to do it before I knew better. When I was like 12, 13, you'd be making CDs and stuff like that. And then nowadays, it's just like you pay for all these music services and it's just like it's always at your fingertip. It's strange. Do you feel the Oscars and Emmys have de-evolved into popu popularity contests are no longer about rewarding talent? Um, I never watched the Oscars or the Emmys. Um, but uh, I know Brad Easton Ellison has a lot to say about them in his podcast. And he mentioned stuff like... Um, how basically people are more concerned about political ideology than actually a good movie. And I do think that is true sometimes. I do think that people are just, it is popularity contest or try to, you know, uh, making rights the past wrongs they've done. So I do think that is there, to be honest, at times. Like how many times should a Martin Scorsese have won an Oscar or something like that? And then they just finally give it to him for a movie that maybe he shouldn't have won for. You know, it's just politics. Should a biotopic be made during the life of the subject, or is it better to wait till they have passed? That's a good question. I have no idea. Probably till after they've passed. Uh, Ray Carthroad, or Catthroad. How many films do you own now? I have no idea. Over 10,000. What are you going to do with them when they all die? Burn them. I don't know. You know what? I, I thought about that, because I don't want to... Do I give them away to like groups of my friends? Like, you can have all these, you can have all these. Or do I really just, you know, say... Donate them to a library so everybody can enjoy them. Donate them to some sort of places. Is there going to be a time when I'm dead that somebody will be like, this is how uh, movie nerds used to live with aisles and aisles of movies and then just donate them all to that or just have like some sort of weird kind of public, you know, weird sting. I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to have them be preserved fairly well and not destroy. They may not last that long. Maybe they'll laser rot with DVDs, DVD rot, Blu-ray rot. I don't know. Maybe they'll all blow up in a fire. I don't know. I don't know. But I'd like maybe to have them have some sort of library of them, but a library that takes care of them. Um, I have some answers to uh, some questions. I asked uh, last week, I asked a question, but I got some answers to the week question before that that I didn't get to. They're so late. This is any actor or actress that died before their time that you would like. Uh, Boots and Flicks puts John Cassell past before his time and he was alongside De Niro, Pacino, and Walken, the greatest actor of that generation, the greatest actors of that generation. I agree. Victor Rose, 1978. I go with Bruce Lee. Could have had a much longer career as an actor, but still a legend. Jay Mitchell Beard says, I would have said to say Marilyn Monroe as an actress that died too soon. She had just brief time as a star where her acting ability was shown. A director it would be interesting with her, maybe Ken Russell or Stanley Kubrick. Uh, though it would be hard to imagine what projects she would have done, but definitely dramas. Her last completed film was was one. The Umbrown 80. I would have loved for Steve McQueen to have lived longer and making more films. And of course, I agree with John Candy. That's a good one. Nobody mentioned Steve McQueen. Dead at 50. Very sad. Okay. The question from last week was any actor or actress with memorable or recognizable voices. So the one that spots out to you guys. Uh, Nick Mua. Ladies first. Uh, Dame uh, Judy Dench. M from James Bond. I adore her suave horse uh, voice. Never get tired of it. I always recognize it. Lucy Lawless has a very musical voice. Love it. Uh, Thaddy Newton. M2, Solo, a Star Wars story. Quite the delicate voice. Great at accents. She's a Brit, of course. Out of the Gents, Christopher Lee. But that goes without saying. Wasn't his voice just perfect as Saruman in Lord of the Rings? I could almost always tell if James Duvall is in a movie just from his voice. And a great voice it is. Yeah, his voice is very memorable. And lastly, Mr. Tony Todd. His voice is hypnotic hearing. It always makes me smile or shudder. Nope, two, those last two guys are both in that, what, Sushi Girl movie. Uh, Rogelero, uh, Isais, please, uh, correct me. I, I, sorry. Uh, distinct voices go to Jennifer Tilly, Peter McCain. Not sure about the most recognizable voice, but I love listening to John Goodman. J. Mitchell Beard. Strangely, the first person that comes to mind for voices is Jennifer Tilly. Bride of Chucky. Stuart Little, Family Guy, Monsters, Inc., amongst them. I remember seeing her first in High Spirits. Uh, Peek and Boo. When it comes to actors slash actresses with the most memorable voices, I always think of Madeline Kahn. Just listening to her, her was a wow experience. Great singer and comedian as well. Uh, Toshiro uh, Mifuni. Also got to be up there. Not familiar with that actress or actor. Uh, Peter Engelin. James Mason. Love his voice. And Peter Lawyer. Lori, of course, you know. Uh, Kathy Morarati. Uh, Morarati. Uh, sorry. And Jennifer Tilly. Getting a little dry mouth down here. 
The Unbrown 80. The most memorable voice of an actor would be L.Q. Jones. Uh, that's a good one. But there's so many more. Burt Lancaster, classic actor, had a voice that always stood out. Yeah, I think his timing is also very memorable, how he times his voice and stuff like that. You know, similar to like a John Wayne. Like, they just... Their voice is memorable, but their timing is also in, is just very memorable, like a walk-in, too. Nobody has timing like Lancaster or, 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 or um, John Wayne or Christopher Walken, the way they do their timing. James Grimmer, recognizable voices that come to mind would be Keith David, Tony Jay, and Vincent Price. I would also say Bruce Campbell and Christopher Walken. Those are some good ones. You know, if nobody mentioned Keith David, I mean, Keith David, man. Okay, guys, uh, I wanted to ask uh, the question of the week. Uh, this might be shoehorned in here because I forgot to ask it, but... Um, uh, the question of the week for next week, uh, what movie poster taglines just grab your attention that you always loved? Um, the It's Alive one's a cool one that comes to mind. There's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. It's alive. That's a great one. Uh, race with the devil. If you're going to race with the devil, you better make sure you're faster than hell or you're fast as hell. Love that one. Uh, pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. You don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. Come on, just give me some taglines you like from movie posters and whatnot. Let me um, hop into the update, and we'll be out of here pretty soon. Okay, guys, let's hop into this update. Fairly big update. We're going to start with, you know, they had a sale of Olive Films at deep discount. Uh, this is an Olive Signature film, uh, release, High Noon. I never saw High Noon. That's one of the world. That's all a huge, huge thing there, I know. Uh, can't wait to check this out. I'm sure it is awesome. It's one of the most famous westerns and most popular and uh, probably uh, ripped off westerns. But yeah, good stuff. Phase 4 by the guy who did the uh, title sequence in Psycho. I believe he worked on the shower sequence as well. Um, was it Sal Bass? Sal Bass? I've seen this before. I never cared for it much, but I was younger and dumber. So um, here it is on Blu-ray. Check it out for sure. A very strange art film about killer ants. Really weird. Uh, Sands of Kalahari. Uh, baboons. Good cast. 60s movie. Wanted to check it out. We have uh, The Dirty Dozen. The uh, Deadly Mission and The Fatal Mission. Both starring Telly Savalas and Ernest Borgnine. Telly Savalas obviously playing a different character from the character he played in the original Dirty Dozen. Uh, Archer Maggot. Because, you know, Archer Magnet doesn't make it. And he could never be a leader. But, uh, yeah, I've never seen these. I think these are both TV movies. Love the Dirty Dozen. Saw the first sequel, The Next Mission, with Lee Marvin and Ernest Borgnine. And enjoyed that one uh, decently. But uh, these two, you know, they got a nice little cast in both of them. So, yeah. Then we have The Sender. I seen this a long time ago, um, and uh, you know I remember being kind of arty, kind of slow, but I was uh, willing to recheck it out. Um, that's not a bad thing, arty and slow, you know. But I, I, it didn't stand out too much to me. But um, I wanted to re-see it, revisit it. Then we have the uh, what is it? The Deadly Bees on Blu-ray. I think that this is what is this? Is, is this a, a Terrence Fisher movie? Or is it a Freddie Francis? It's one of the uh, British guys who directed 100,000 movies, but Deadly Bees, um, one of the Hammer directors, so yeah. Then we have The Last American Virgin. This is, uh, what, an Israeli film that was remade? I've never seen this. Uh, this is a canon movie, uh, sex comedy. It's supposed to be kind of uh, different, a little bit uh, ballsier than some of the other ones. Uh, the Deep. Yeah, never saw this one. Nick Nolte, uh, Robert Shaw. I think my dad always dug this one. I think it's also got that bald guy from Hard Times and The Longest Yard in here. So, yeah, there's that. And he's in that real bad uh, Keith Carradine, uh, David Carradine movie, Future Force or something like that. Then we got uh, Body Double by Brian De Palma. This is one of the ones I always wanted to see that I didn't have. So, Indicator Disc. So, yeah, going to check that out. Oh, from Screen Factory. Had to have it. Creep Show. George A. Romero. Love this movie. Nice little hard box. You hear that too? Uh, shirt's got tons of features. Features. Her shirt looks great. But uh, finally, Creep Show gets the love it deserves on Blu-ray from Shout Scream. Love, love Creep Show. Come on. People are always like, Trick or Treat's the best anthology. I'm a Creep Show boy. Creep Show boy till I die. Uh, then we have. Um, Dungeon Master and the Eliminators on Blu-ray from uh, Scream Factory. I had these on DVD. I heard the Dungeon Master is the longer international cut, maybe, on the Blu-ray. Uh, this is a stupid movie, but I like it. I think Buchler did that one. Did Buchler do that one? Ghost Story. Uh, this is one I saw a long time ago, kind of a slow ghost story. Um, remember it being well-made. It didn't stand out to me. A lot of people like it, so I wanted to revisit it. Why not on Blu-ray? 
ghost story. Um, Howling 2, your sister is a werewolf. <laughs> okay. This movie is ridiculous. Everybody knows it's ridiculous. It is fun. It's got Christopher Lee. He hates it. It's got Sybil Danning, but more importantly, it's got Sybil Danning's boobs in it. Uh, I shouldn't say that, but and that they're highlighted in this movie. They're in this movie. They got more screen time in the credits, and you know Christopher Lee probably doesn't know the entire movie. But this movie's nonsense, and it's really fun. It's really silly. House Sitters um, donated to the what is it Indiegogo or Kickstarter? Uh, this is a Jason Kaufman's uh, film debut. This is a fun indie movie. I enjoyed it. It's on Amazon Prime for a while, but I liked it. DVD Blu-ray combo, burned disc, but I'm okay with that. Uh, here's this big gargantuan Twilight Zone, all 156 episodes and a special bonus disc on Blu-ray. I just started watching these. I hadn't seen these since I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, great, great price on them, like 60 bucks for all of them. That's a deal on Blu-ray. Look at this thing. I don't even want to open it. Look at it. Disc galore, guys. And there's special features on there, which blew my mind. Like, first one, audio commentary by this and this. And I was like, wow, very cool. The next one, who made who? Who made you? Who made who? Ain't nobody told. I'm sorry. I love this movie. This is the best bad movie ever. I've said that for a while. I mean, I do, everybody said that for a while. People always like, Troll 2. Man, screw Troll 2. Maximum Overdrive doesn't make any sense the sprinklers why are they doing it why are the cars not doing it but the trucks are i don't know i don't care this is the vestron release um i've always enjoyed this movie i love the music cues the you know the trucks and the machines killing everybody based off a short story by stephen king trucks which is not a great story by stephen king but you know it's like seven pages long but i love this movie i can't wait to dive into it see it in hd maybe it's a better looking print than the ones i've seen in hd and uh check out the features but i love this movie grateful blessed just kidding but uh uh savage streets from uh code red uh this is supposed to be a new color correction on it new uh audio I don't know why I keep buying this thing. I like it. Danny Steinman did Nightmare on uh, Friday 13th 5. Sorry, I get confused sometimes. Uh, the Man, John Vernon. And, uh, of course, it's got Linda Blair, Leanna Quigley. Uh, cool re rape revenge movie. I mean, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Cool rape revenge movie. But uh, it, it's a pretty entertaining one, for sure, out of the bunch. I wish the kills were better, though. I wish the revenge was better. Uh, Blood Harvest uh, from uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Not seen this one. Now I have this damn thing on uh, what... I have it on uh, the 88 Films one and this one. But uh, Vinegar Syndrome can do no wrong in my book. We have The Incubus. Uh, John Cassavetes is in this movie, I believe. Uh, that's a cool back cover. I love that right there. What we got here. And then we got the back cover. Love what Vinegar Syndrome does. Looking forward to their uh, Black Friday titles. What will they be, guys? Death by Temptation, another trauma title. With a Samuel Jackson vampire flick. Not seen this one. Actually, not seen any of those uh, vinegar syndromes. And what else? I'm trying to put these away carefully without damaging them. You know, people love their slipcovers. The Killing Kind. This one I have seen with John Savage. It's been a while, though. Uh, but this one I remember being a pretty cool psychological horror movie. What do we got here? But uh, that is the update. Thank you very much, guys, for watching. And as always, have a good one. Okay, thank you very much, guys, for watching. And as always, you have a good one.